This is Noemi Valkoda from DigitalCity.Brossens, the center that brings together the key digital players in the employment and learning world in the tech industry in Brussels. I am thrilled to have a discussion today with Catherine Erdewin, founder of Elignano. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Noemi. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, I would like to go through some topics uh, related to the role of women in IT as you will be part of our next webinar session on this subject and hence how we can build the future of IT in a more equal, inclusive and diverse way. But first, um, would you mind to share with us your background and what you do today? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I was born and raised in the region of Leuven. I'm 35 years old today. Um, as a little girl, I was very much obsessed with shoes. I was very much into dancing uh, and mm. fashion and shoes. Uh, but I also always had a keen interest in science, so I ended up studying uh, engineering. I did a bachelor in electrical engineering and material sciences and a master's in nanoscience and nanotechnology. And at the end of all of that, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with it. I really always chose my, my subjects in, in university based on interest. Mm. Um, and so at the end of it, I decided to start doctoral research in physics more than in, than in engineering, but it was still in nanotechnology uh, at the KU Leuven. Um, and after four years of that, um, I was actually simultaneously studying footwear design and those two worlds for me. So I still recovered this part of me that was really loved um, shoes and fashion. Mm. And then I still had that part. I was working in um, science and technology doing research. And so those two parts kind of came together over the course of those four years. And then at the end of it, I decided to just take the leap and jump. And I started my own company, Elaniano, that's still the company today. So that was in 2014. So it's been a while. It's almost over eight years at this point. And at Elaniano, we try to bring together, bridge the gap between fashion and technology. So we mostly focus on footwear, uh, shoes for mm. the fashion part of it. And for technology, we mostly uh, focus on nanotechnology, biotech. Um, okay. But we have like a broader uh, portfolio of, of applications, projects that we've developed um, sometimes in-house. So we have our own products. We have our own footwear that has nanotechnology in it. Uh, but we also help other companies bridging the gap, both tech companies that want to create something wearable and fashion companies that want to figure out how to use tech in some of their products. Wow, that's uh, super interesting. Um, well, as any woman, I'm also a lot into shoes, <laughs> a bit less into nanotechnologies, but I find it super interesting. And what is, uh, so you've been quite curious about the digital world. How did you make your path toward this sector? Like what really uh, was attracting you in the tech industry? Question apart and try to find the answer. Um, so that's okay. always the part in, in technology that has sparked my interest. It's not obvious that you know how it works, but there is like a, a satisfaction in figuring it out. And can you tell us more about Elignano and uh, the brand itself, uh, how you made it uh, your way into the uh, you know, entrepreneurial mindset and what is it exactly, how you do 
combine nanotechnology with shoes? Uh, yeah, so it, it's really something that grew over time that for me, I think for most people, it doesn't make sense to put the two together. It's kind mm -hmm. of two very different worlds. They yes. have their mm -hmm. own little world and, and it's it's moving in parallel. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, somehow, like having both of those interests in me, they made so much more sense together. For example, to take nanotechnology it takes place at a very small scale. Like for people who are not very familiar with it, it's mm -hmm. at 10 to the minus nine meters. So a nanometer compares to a meter, like the diameter of a blueberry compares to the diameter of the earth. So we're okay. talking about extremely small things. You can't see them, you can't feel them. And the, the scientific part that's so interesting in nanotechnology is that it doesn't behave like we all see our Newtonian physics. So everything around us, apple falls from the tree. At a nanoscale, if you have a nano tree with a nano apple, the apple is not gonna fall down. Mm. It's very different, like principles, the way things work is just slightly different. So at that scale, um, you can actually change the properties of materials, but because you don't see it and you don't feel it, it's not visible. And for me, that's a very beautiful technology to combine to something with something like fashion where aesthetics are very important. Very mm. often when we think of technology and fashion, it's about moving parts or lights on it. And it comes across as very gimmicky. It's not something that we necessarily need. While there are, we can hardly say that our clothes and our shoes are perfect. Most people have some kind of issue with them, like they don't fit or their shoes hurt or something. There is a lot of room for improvement in them. And I think that something like technology, like nanotechnology can actually play a really good role there because you don't have to see it. It can be part of the, the stitching. It can be part of something integrated in the yarn that you're using. Uh, in our case, we're using leather with nanotechnology in it. You don't pick wow. up the shoe and say like, oh, there must be technology in there. You only see the effects of it walking through the rain or through the snow and the mm. shoes are water and dirt repellent because of tiny little nanopillars that we integrated in the fibers of the leather. But so it's it's taking, it, make, it actually puts some magic back into the stuff that we have and using that science magic to do it basically. Um, so it's, for me, it made sense to do things like this. It's a logical step to combine mm. these two and I think like there are a lot of opportunities for technology in a lot of different fields like fashion, but also different industries where we just need to find common, uh, like a, a problem that can be solved by technology uh, or vice versa, already an existing problem. Because in my case, the nanotechnology that we use was already used in the car industry, in the construction industry. So it was really looking at what already exists and this would also make sense to apply it in different applications. Uh, but in order to do so, you kind of need to make sure that these industries interface at some point and find people that have some background or interest in both. And if they don't, mm -hmm. have those people at least communicate with one another to, to build these connections. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to make some personal comments, but I, I can see right now uh, with your explanation because I'm a runner and shoes in are so important and I think putting technology for people that run 
a lot is like obvious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I don't use that. I don't think my shoes are really <laughs> linked to any technology. So I will I will really uh, try to find <laughs> out the best shoes now. And it reminds me also what you're saying about technology and fashion. It reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you remember in the last fashion week, I think it was in September with Edith Lehman and the, the, the dress was made on on herself and yeah. all through technology and mm -hmm. that was fascinating so uh, there's a lot of room for this and you're making it happen so <laughs> I'm quite firm to have a discussion with you on that. Uh, to go back to your uh, business, one of the skills uh, that you need to improve your day-to-day -day work and work in digital, having this entrepreneurial mindset as a woman as well, I guess it's not that easy. So can you share with us? I, I think the most important skill for me, I mean, maybe I would have answered this differently in the first year, but uh, mm. being like a little bit further in the story is really communication, is learning how to turn the ideas that you have into a language that somebody else understands. And really, um, given that I'm working at this interface um, between two industries that don't really speak the same language, for mm -hmm. me, it became apparent very early on how important it is to be able to take what you want to say, really distill it and turn it into a clear message. And that the other person that you're trying to work with, trying to get a solution from, understands it. And it goes beyond like when once you're running a business, that is obviously in the initial parts, it's developing your product, it's creating it. For me, it was working between engineers and footwear production or footwear designers, which are educated in very different ways and make them understand one another and really uh, work that way. But it goes beyond, obviously, once you are running a business, it's how, mm -hmm. how do you communicate to your customers? We're selling shoes with nanotechnology. Nanotechnology, a lot of people don't know what it is and are, mm -hmm. frankly, quite fearful of what it is. A lot of technology <laughs> yeah. has still, if it's unknown, it's easy to make people scared. Media often like to scare people and, and turn yeah. headlines into something very flashy that catches the attention but loses all of the nuance. So it, it's important to get that communication across and then once or get the communication right. And then even more important is just like the working with people that that communication is right, because it's always having a company is always teamwork. Like it's not yes. something that you just do by yourself. Even if you have a small company, you rely on manufacturers, you rely on contractors, consultants, people who still have to help you um, to, to get to the end product. So that combined with, um, I think in the beginning and still now, but it becomes less important as you move forward, being able to communicate together with having like a basis, a broad base of, of the knowledge that you need. So of course, technical knowledge is important. You, you can't, if you don't know anything about it, you need to know enough about it to surround yourself with the right people, people that know enough about what you want to do to actually do the task. And so you do need this basis of some um, knowledge about the technical parts, but also about other parts of, of 
running a business. If you're like, I'm not interested in anything related to, I don't know, accounting or sales Mm. or marketing, it doesn't mean you can't have a business, but it means that early on you need to find somebody good enough that can help you with these things. Because once you run a business, you can't just ignore those parts of it. Uh, You need to include those. And there, I I want to bring back in that communication part that as soon as you do have to rely on other people to do part of your business, it becomes very important that you can communicate with them in a good way and in a respectful way and in in a way that you really like connect with them through what you're you're saying, especially in times like this where we do a lot digital, we do a lot online. And so you lose a lot of the, like some of the people I work with, I've never met in person. It doesn't mean mm. that I can't work very well with them, but it becomes super important how you send an email, what you put into it. We work internationally as well. There are so many different layers to communication that it really becomes part of your knowledge. What's in your head doesn't necessarily mean it's in somebody else's head, and but you need to make the balance between not being condescending and being a know-it-all and saying you have to do it this and this and this way and at the same time make sure that they have all the information and can do it the way that you envisioned it to be yeah for sure and how to adapt yourself and the way you communicate is so different uh from a country to another and Mm -hmm. uh, i'm curious um your brand eliniano is originally from belgium uh is it now internationally available uh where we can buy it (laughs) just to for listeners (laughs) (laughs) uh so since 2017 we've become completely digital so we're no longer working with with in-person uh footwear stores there are a few footwear stores here that have a very um, small uh, part of the collection at their in their stores but generally it's it's online on the website okay. and it doesn't really matter where you are um, you can order them and we will ship them to you and uh, how did the digital transformation impacted your business if it did or on on a current level uh, it, it absolutely did. I think having some kind of background in it or always being kind of immersed in it um, made it for me also a more logical step, maybe earlier than than a lot of people or mm-hmm. other entrepreneurs made a step. Like we made a step to go completely remote in 2017. Um, that was way ahead of the pandemic, which made the pandemic very easy for us because everybody, I my factory was used to working with me remotely so they already knew like how are we doing this it was there was very little trying to figure it out at that point um and for me it's been kind of a journey with the digital transformation of does it make sense in our context and i think that's generally true for companies when when there are new technologies obviously when it's your core business when you're developing a certain digital technology, you have to be on the lookout and decide, are we innovating in this? Are we being a forerunner or are we a follower in this? But when you're a company like Alignano, where you apply digital tools mostly, like we don't develop them ourselves, like we use an online store, like it's it's not that we reinvented the wheel there, then it's for me important, like, do you go on board and figuring that out. Does it make sense for your company? It does not. Does it make sense for your customers? Does it make sense for the business model that you build? 
Um, and if it does, then you make the next step. I think it's always risky to just, for example, currently AI is a thing that has mm, been coming yes. up a lot in the digital world. It doesn't mean every single company needs to jump on AI and apply it everywhere all the time. It's it's like taking approach. Where does it make mm. sense for our company? Are we going to implement it? If you decide yes, make sure that the people who have to use it know how they have to use it. Like it could be training. Sometimes a manual is enough. Sometimes you actually need a team in your company that will help everybody using this to, to um, actually use it. I think it's very similar thing happened during COVID. All of a sudden people had to use video calling all the time. I think there's still people struggling with it. There is kind of like mm. a stigma sometimes of it's stupid, it's stupid questions if you don't know how to use something or do something while it really isn't. Like these tools are, I guess, designed to be intuitive and figuring it out, but it's not always the case. And so having enough backdrop on that. Um, so we've definitely, I've always tried to use a digital transformation to our advantage without going overboard. And like I said, we did go for completely online sales for several reasons, but at the same time, I do know we have a product that people like to fit. So it ties into, for example, we've quite early on decided to um, sign up for the buy now, pay later structure where people can um, buy the shoes without paying them at the moment, try them on so they could try several sizes and then send the ones back that they decided wow. not um, buying without actually having to pay everything up front. You get 21 days to make the payment and you have 14 days to send the shoes back. So you could get five pairs and only buy one pair and make that work just so you can do the fittings at home. So we've tried to, to have different ways. We also work with shoe stores. If people really feel un uncomfortable about buying online, we mm. can send them to a shoe store in your neighborhood and you can go try them at the shoe store in your neighborhood. So it's, it's ways about making this digital work for you and work for your customers, um, but not just make a decision because it is mm. a new thing to use. Let's put it that way. And have you been trained or have you trained yourself uh, in your career to, I mean, you're talking about UX design, creative thinking kind of things. And did you follow some training programs? Uh, I'm not formally trained, uh, but I've always, taken courses like short yeah. courses often i've taken a lot of courses at, at um one in fashion school i think now it's university of arts london uh, i've taken versus wow. polymoda at the time i've taken mm. university of antwerp the the um, master program there so it's i've i've really if i see courses somewhere online allison as mm. well um that's for more technical uh courses so when i want to know more about something it's really a lot of it is self-taught reading books um yes. and and going online listening to podcasts uh i think <laughs> there is a lot again like i'm not an expert at it i won't decide to mm. go for ux designing myself but it's building that basis of knowing yeah. enough about it and understanding what you're trying to do and then attract somebody who is knowledgeable about it too uh for you. i think it it joins on the curiosity number one kill that almost all digital experts say out loud be curious that's really the basic if you want to make a career in the in the tech world and 
you've been awarded quite a lot. I'm I'm very impressed. You've been one of Belgium's uh, 40 under 40. You've been inspiring 50 Europe 2022, which is top 50 most inspiring women in uh, European tech, uh, according to the Financial Times. And you're a professor at the Faculty of Engineer at KU Leuven. Um, this uh, is quite uh, impressive, as I said. Can you tell us more about this? And do you believe that these programs, uh, they help in putting forward role models for minorities and citizens in general? And we will talk about this, but for women as well. Um, yeah, I think it kind of depends on the program. So for example, for 40 under 40, their goal is really to create societal change. And if you yeah. want to change society, you do need diversity. You do need diverse perspectives. Like you, you won't be able to do that when everybody looks the same. The more different people are, the more different backgrounds they have. So there it's, it's less about intentionally putting people forward and more like this isn't the type of mix that will give you the best results. Mm -hmm. um, program like Inspiring 50 is really about putting forward role models or inspiration um, and an attempt to tackle the imbalances that currently exist. Mm -hmm. uh, honorary professor is kind of similar. It's, it's to show like it, a professor doesn't always need to fit necessarily the stereotype that we have of that person. And at the same time, um, like I'm, I'm also uh, working on a few events with the university right now is to really help female graduates to figure out like, what do I, what is my place or what, how do I see myself? What are my questions? What am I afraid of going forward with my career in, in STEM? What am I struggling with? I already get almost weekly emails from young women who are not sure, do I want to study engineering? Do I want to study STEM or not? Or their parents or their teacher be like, we really think she should, but she thinks she can't do it. Can you talk to her or can you tell, take away her fears? So mm. um, I think those programs have a lot of, one, it is putting a face and a name on some of the things so people can reach out and, and yeah. connect and recognize if see themselves in somebody um i definitely think there is also some risk in this like this in the sense that if i look if when i was at the event for inspiring 50 europe and i met all the other women i was like overwhelmed i was wondering what i did there because there are women like curing cancer and and doing amazing things for the world and there i am like combining fashion and tech which somehow feels a little frivolous compared to some of the real problems we're tackling in the world um so i i think there is a risk in that that when you put forward a lot of successful women that for minor or minorities in general which are mm. usually the ones that are put forward as role models that you almost create a distance of, of women thinking like younger women uh, or younger mm. uh, with a minority background, like, oh, but I, I am, I can never do that. Like I, mm. I, I'm not the first in class. I'm not that good at this or that, especially because most of the time women and minorities already feel a little bit like they, they're not good enough. They, mm. 
they're usually better than they think they are. So it's, it's sometimes like there are two sides to it, um, but I still very much believe in, in representation. I think it's very important to create some kind of, at least per, put a person on it, give, give it a character more than just a, a personality behind just saying we need more women in STEM, but then you don't really, you need somebody who looks like you somehow to, um, I think creates a connection and and makes you think that you can you can do the same or you can achieve the same so, that you can relate to. But the IT world is still you know very connected as masculine. We see when we if you say IT or tech, you imagine a geek working, uh, sitting in his pajama and not very sociable. That's absolutely not true. <laughs> so. Um, how can we change this mindset, like raise awareness among among women that it's uh, it's possible? And there's no, it's not just about coding. It's also about marketing, about community management, and yes, there's a lot of room for uh, women in this field. Yeah, I think you said exactly what what I was actually thinking myself in the sense that I think it's important that we make clear that that stereotype is not really what it is. It's mm. making clear, and maybe it was different 50 years ago, but today technology is in absolutely every single field. And it doesn't matter what industry you want to end up with, whether it's fashion, whether it's developing I don't know, cars, kitchen appliances, gardening, it doesn't really matter. In all of those fields, there is technology involved. And um, that versatility, like you said, marketing, sales, it, it doesn't really matter. There are tech roles and all those industries will hire from tech profiles. So it's much less about um, choosing an industry and, and ending up like if you want to be work into law in the law field of law even there are plenty of tech jobs as well so there is just the way it, it's spread out is is much it's very abundant and that makes it that that stereotype simply doesn't fit anymore that mm. being said the stereotype is still there and you're almost asking for for a societal change a cultural change to take that out because it's really embedded in us like we're already older, we need to train ourselves, but still um, the material that kids see around them is very much infiltrated with that. It's what we see mm. on TV, what we read in books, what is being taught at school, what we see in school, what we see at home from friends, from family. It, so much of it is it's gender roles that are already there. And very often they're interlinked with traditions between quotation marks that, that we're saying, yeah, but it's always been like this, or that's just how we do it, or it is normal, but it's it, a lot of it is linked to biases that we just have that we grow up with and that already imprints it. I mean, it's a very uh, famous experiment that I'm sure has already come up at the podcast as well as a draw a scientist where you ask kids to draw a scientist and most of them still draw a man and grown-ups yeah. do the same like when you ask kids to draw a scientist a pilot a ceo a, an engineer almost always whether it's a girl or a boy it doesn't matter that's like our idea and it's the same when you google something when you ask chat gtp about something it is that bias is just in there um and it will take 
an enormous effort to get it out. So for, I feel we're still really at step one is mm. admitting that there is a bias and, and making people aware that there is a bias and accepting that it is there. And then we can start working, trying to change it. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't already try it right now. I think there are a lot of initiatives and making sure there are a more equal balance in, in male and female experts on TV when they give explanations in, in the news, uh, in books. There is a lot of, there are a lot of initiatives to make sure that we see diversity across the board in all these tools that surround us. But there is still, if, if you make it realistic and go down, I think in most households in Brussels and in Belgium, if you go yes. in there, it's bias is still very much there. And you can't tell people, well, you're wrong about everything. And the way you grew up is not the right way. Like that's also not what, what people want to hear or should hear, but it's just like an adjustment that takes a lot of time and realizing this and hoping or implementing it as well as possible for the next generation. And really, I mean, it's a, it's a cliche, but it's the quote from the university that I went to. It says, if you want to change the world, you have to start with yourself. And I think if everybody just started with themselves and the people around them and try to consciously mm -hmm always because all of us have bias it doesn't matter what your gender yeah. is it doesn't matter what your age is we all have it if we all of them every single day try to catch yourself of saying things or doing things or nudging in directions with our the people around us with the people we work with the people we come across in the street at our work that will go a long way i think in uh, in nudging us forward it seems so simple but um it's not no <laughs> <laughs> and i really share your thought so you've been a uh you're teaching and you've been a professor uh in ku living how with the next generation and um can you Tell us how can we connect uh, today's uh, youth and um, the next generation to the digital future? Uh, well, in a sense, of course, the, the, the next generation is the digital future. They are, it's, it's already everywhere. It, it's hard to escape. Um, but I heard the other day, and I thought that was very interesting, that we should approach the digital future and, and everything that's coming at us at a very high pace a little bit like we teach young kids to work with calculators. Mm. It's important that they can do the math themselves, that they understand the basics, that they know how it works, that they know how to communicate, how to construct sentences, how to do everything themselves, and then bring in the tool, then bring in the digital um, tool that can make it easier, that can make it better. But right now we're actually, getting flooded by by tools all the time where mm. where we, we're skipping a lot of steps it's hard for adults it's hard for the youth it's hard for everybody in between it's sometimes even harder for older generations that mm. just where it comes at a very late stage in their professional careers mm. um, so it, it does take a lot of effort but i do think that that approach of it understanding that all of these things are tools that are taking over our life, but there is something behind it. Like all of it was created by the human brain and we've made it easier for a human brain to do things, but um, to really understand the basics, 
maybe even similar as it was saying before, when you hire somebody, you need to understand the basics and then you ask the specialist to really do it for you. But you mm. can't ask derived questions if you don't understand the basics, how it really works and teaching a young generation and how to ask the right questions and be critical and, and curious, but in a way where you embrace it and at the same time, take it under the microscope, uh, I think is very important to, to create, to not lose or create too much of a, a different b- difference between people that are really into it and embrace it and, and go for it. And people that are like, nah, it, it's not really my thing, but I have to use it. And it, it, as much as it's taking over our current world, we don't want to lose too many people in, in that field that will get behind and don't, um, and, and will feel left out over time. And um, as a conclusion, um, what would be your advice to anyone that wants to make a career in, uh, in the digital world or as an entrepreneur? Um, I, I think it's, for, it's important to know why you want to do it do it for the right reasons. Sometimes for tech, I feel people are like, it's easy to find a job or you can make good money. And that's not a motivation. The same for, for starting a company. If you just want to success, don't start a company. And like, it's, it's the hard work. It's everything that goes in between. And you, you need to get a spark from, from the what you're doing from from the interests find the magic in what you're doing and not be interested in just the fruits of what you're going to do and in case you have that kind of yeah i'm interested in doing it or in tech um i like the subjects or i'm just curious about it which you basically said if you're curious that's kind of a good um quality that you're probably fit for a job in this sector um i think it's it's part of that being curious, just collect information, just find places. Sometimes it's a formal education, but you can also um, start with figuring out because there's so many different roles you can play, even if you just select IT. Within that, mm-hmm. there are a lot of different specialties. So figure out what exactly is it that you like doing, and you can figure that out through a course, or you can figure that out through reading, Um, through watching YouTube videos, if you don't really like reading, there's so many ways to to get the first grasp of things. If you're already in a job and you're you're interested in transitioning, talk to the p- person that you work for, talk to HR, see if there is any fa- anything facilitated within the company because there is such a shortage in IT and tech that yes. there are a lot of reschooling projects programs as well, where you are literally in a short period of time trained to shift sectors and go somewhere else. And that experience that you've built elsewhere is definitely always going to be useful. That's part of like, if you're an entrepreneur or you're in tech, having a different background is uh, actually often very good because mm. it's something you can fall back on and you sometimes don't even realize you're using that background. Um, so yeah, I would say start with finding your motivation, why you want to do it. And then once you have figured that out, start to build it out for yourself. Um, what do you specifically want to do and, and where can you find an education in it? Uh, if you need to get education, can you be retrained? 
uh, talk to people who are already in the industry, uh, connect on LinkedIn with people, try to um, build bridges to the industry you want to end up in. Thank you so much for this uh, valuable insights. And uh, I was also attend two webinars like uh, Women in Tech, March 8th. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really honored to uh, have you as a guest uh, expert. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, that was so inspiring. You're very welcome. I'm looking forward.